Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, just a quick reminder. What I want to do is, is I just want to tell people again that next week I will be off. There will be no episode on Monday or Wednesday, but I will come back next Friday with, uh, with another episode and, and pick right back up where I left off. Um, here's what I want to do in this particular episode, really kind of three things. The first thing is that it seems that uh, a lot of the mask wearing stuff is coming back. And, you know, I was out and about today, and I would say about 10% of the people that I were basically wearing masks is essentially my point. Um, I know that it's different everywhere. I know a lot of places it's still 50%. There's probably a lot of places, again, where it's even more. But um, as I sort of alluded to in the last episode, it, it really begs the question as to what schools are going to do here going forward. Because again, as even they start to see some of their colleagues fall ill and some other people fall ill, and as we know, the masks, of course, deprive people of oxygen, which increases carbon dioxide, which of course makes them ill. So they're using again these COVID resurgence, quote unquote, as a, a pretty terrible excuse to get masks back on people. But I just wanted to read this because this is a, a text thread here that came to me from our excellent educator in Louisiana, who was a guest on a previous episode describing, again, everything that they experienced and uh, all of that horror, so to speak, along with a lot of the good stuff as well. But again, they don't wear a mask. They're not jabbed. And um, here, here's, what they, here's what they said. And this, again, was just from the other day. They said, oh, my God, I'm back in the twilight zone. I've been on break with work, and today came in for summer evaluations. We had a huge meeting this morning, and they were all wearing masks again. Saying that numbers for COVID cases are on the rise in our parish. Saying that although they cannot make us, they strongly encourage us to wear masks and social distance. I'm looking for mask-wearing information to share. I was asked if I was going to wear a mask, and I said absolutely not. They are useless, if anything, more harmful, quote unquote. Um, they said, I don't, she said, I don't know if I can do this again, take the craziness again. I then sort of replied as quickly as I could, but I said, hey, look, I said, uh, you know, if you're coming up on your last year here, drop truth bombs on people. Just plant the seeds. Don't wear the mask. Lead by example. Keep doing what you were doing and, and make sure that you just keep waking people up to it. Because again, as we know, the truth is contagious, and the more that people start to learn and see the ridiculousness of how they're being manipulated, maybe they will uh, you know, take off these masks once and for all, or ultimately just say no, period. But again, we know that a lot of people are married to it. They're 100% committed to it no matter what, and it doesn't matter how many people, of course, that they're walking around who aren't wearing masks, they will continue to do so. But um, she said that's exactly what I said to a few at my table. She says that she told them that the only ones that she knows who are getting sick are the jabbed, and masks are useless. She said that she reiterated that she's never had COVID, that no one in her house has ever had it, talked about Dr. Z's protocol, how they have that, uh, pretty sure that it's a good idea that she's not jabbed. She continues to basically say, hey, look, I'm going to pass out the red pill every chance I get, pray that it's not a trend. And then 
Just today, she texted me and said, Today in my office building, there are 20 of us working, and there are four of us not wearing a mask in our office. I'm the only one walking around without one. She said at least the children and the parents are showing up without wearing any masks. I'm afraid of what, what is to come. And I said, well, they can't force you, uh, jabs, masks, or otherwise. And I said, of course, rely on the exemption forms if you have to, but hopefully you don't have to do that anymore. And then she basically said that she's 100% certain in her convictions, and she's glad she's made the right decision, and she's going to continue to go maskless and jabless and the whole thing. And absolutely. That's exactly what we should do. And again, I mean, you know my stance on the exemption forms. I think they're remarkably unfair. I don't think they should exist in the first place. We should just be able to look at people and, of course, say, no, we're not going to do that. And then that's the end of it. But again, if, if employment or employers do ask for this again in, in some form or fashion, uh, I would find it personally difficult for them to either force that on people again but then again i can see different dimensions of it too i can see i can see employers saying yeah you can turn in an exemption but then they sort of have that memo that sits underneath their desk where they know that they're being told by their higher ups to decline as many exemptions as humanly possible no matter how many employees turn them in it just always seemed to me like the exemption was going to be a card, a very nefarious card that would get played over and over and over again down the line, and then eventually they wouldn't be accepted. But again, we shouldn't even have them. They shouldn't even be necessary. You know, my body, my choice, after all. So the hypocrisy is astounding, and like I said in the last episode there with, uh, with A.J. Gochik, I, you know, it's, it's, it's just going to be interesting here during the summer. Because, I, again, I've, I've heard plenty of superintendents say, well, I can reimpose the, the mask mandates anytime I want. I mean, at some point, they have to understand they're destroying themselves. And I know I've been repetitive on that and beaten that dead horse, but some of these people are so brainwashed that um, they can't be helped. And again, the chemical mental castration that's taking place with these shots is not going to increase their common sense. It's going to decrease it completely. So that's something to pay attention to also. Uh, here's the second thing that I, that I wanted to mention, and I just kind of wanted to riff on the business of brainwashing overall in education and in the education profession. And I know that I've hit on a lot of different things over the course of you know, the last two years of, of having this podcast. And certainly plenty of bullet points and, and even bigger, broader ideas, I guess. But there is a, sort of a little nuanced way to recognize when people are waking up and when they aren't. And I think, again, that it's remarkably sad that this is the case. But there, as you would expect, there are varying degrees on the spectrum of awakening and becoming awake. And I wanted to provide you just two recent examples that I think define exactly what I'm talking about here or trying to explain as, as best I can. Um, and this was kind of one of those shower thoughts. You know, you're standing in the shower and you're like, oh yeah, I got I to gotta mention that. There, there was a particular um, teacher locally here where I live, and he spoke at the last board meeting, which I believe was just last week, if not the week before. But I listened to his comments and I thought to myself, this guy's not awake. 
and he's not a, he he's not awake based on a number of different things and i want to i want to bring up what those specifically are so first of all i've always thought it to be very odd and remarkably risky from a professional standpoint unless of course you're licking someone's boots or you know kissing their ass or whatever it may be but very rarely do school teachers themselves attend board meetings and like I said, if they do, they're there to basically just rub noses and sort of, uh, you know, brown nose, so to speak, the, uh, the school board members or the superintendent and show their support for their hard work and their dedication. Um, that's kind of what happened here. And I was remarkably disappointed. But again, I, I thought to myself, there was another way of handling what this guy wanted to do. And it didn't involve showing up at a board meeting and speaking. I mean, he didn't have to do this. But what, here's what he did. He's a veteran of 22 years, allegedly, of teaching, I, I assume, history. And he shows up and he thanked the superintendent and the school board for approving a trip to Washington, D.C. for he and some of his students who wanted to go. The old field trip to Washington, D.C., that old saw. And he, again, he thanked everybody who was there and what a, what a pleasure it was and some of the stories that came out of it and meeting veterans and this, that, and the other. And I thought to myself, all right. And then I thought, why couldn't he have just emailed them and said thank you? Why is it that this guy felt the need to say it in person to them during a school board meeting in the middle of the summer? And then I thought to myself, who exactly is he thanking? Who are these people? So, I mean, we can't forget who these people are. School board members, superintendents, the treasurer, whoever it is that's typically on, on these stages sitting at these tables. These are feckless child abusers. End of story. And I always keep that fresh in my mind, at the front of my mind. They can erase all they'd like from their past decisions that they've made and, and, and the past things that they've done over the last couple of years. They can act as if they haven't made some of the worst mistakes and criminal acts in the history of American education all they'd like. But I thought to myself, here's a history teacher who gets to, who gets to go play his game in Washington, D.C. with his students again, you know, because of COVID and the pandemic, which is, of course, what he said. We couldn't do it because of the pandemic, and I understand. And I thought to myself again, why are you kissing up to these people? These people are child abusers. You could have very privately just written them an email if you really wanted to thank them, which, again, thanking these people is, for anything, frankly, I think is an abomination. Because they're child abusers. So he showed up and he did that. And I thought to myself, you know what? That right there is a notch in the old spectrum. That's a notch in the awakening spectrum because this guy's not awake. Someone who is awake wouldn't even dream of going to this, to a school board meeting, let alone thanking them for their decision about allowing for a field trip to again occur and whatever else. 
And then the president of the school board said, well, yeah, it's, you know, it was an honor to do it. And we're glad that we could do it again. And I've been on some of those trips with you and they're absolutely fantastic and blah, blah, blah. And again, you know, they're just sitting there and, you know, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And, and then they leave. And I thought, again, you could have done it with an email. You didn't have to do that publicly because in the end, the bottom line for me is he's showing up and he's thanking child abusers. Period. It doesn't matter if it doesn't matter what's now allowed and what field trip has been given back to the teacher. They're still child abusers. So you have that person on the spectrum. On another side of the spectrum, in a more positive and awakening direction, not fully awake yet, I don't think, although I don't know where this individual is now. But you will recall this person because again, I've played I played audio from them a long time ago. And I want to refresh your memory as to who this person was, because again, it was very gutsy for this person to do it, and it ended up costing them their job. But this was a God-loving human being who did this, and they were 100% right. It was a music teacher, a male music teacher. I can even see his face now. But it was a male music teacher who was in Loudoun County, Virginia. And he showed up to a school board meeting to tell the school, I believe it was Loudoun County, it could have been another county, so my apologies on that, but I'm certain it was in Virginia. And he had been a school teacher there for a number of years, and he said all of the sudden now, their school district and their school building was pushing the Brain Pop video platform um, on, on all of their teachers, and that they had to use Brain Pop in the classroom. Because again, when you contract out an education curriculum or a a particular quote-unquote teaching tool. It's really an indoctrination tool now, but when you contract out something like that, the school district always wants paperwork on which teachers are using it and which teachers aren't. And then, of course, administrators and district leadership, finger quotes, will use that information against the teacher because then, of course, they can track what the teacher is doing and not doing and then when it comes to the evaluation time, you know, they'll, they'll clamp down on that person and treat them unfairly and X, Y, Z. But this individual showed up to their, you know, to his school board meeting. And he said, look, this brain pop thing is remarkably destructive. It's talking about pronouns. It's talking about sexual degeneracy. It's talking about a thousand other things that are completely inappropriate and have nothing to do with American education whether, again, it be elementary, middle school, high school, you name it. I mean, he went right down the list, and he was very, I mean, very brave for doing it, and I applaud him for doing it, and he did the right thing. He ended up getting fired, I believe, from from that school district because, again, he stuck his neck out. And a lot of people, of course, have done that over the course of years uh, during a variety of different things in a variety of different professions, in particular recently, of course, within the last couple of years in the field of education. But that right there again, too, is another end of the spectrum because that guy is more awake than the history teacher that I just described. Because the history teacher was probably wearing the mask. The history teacher is probably jabbed, and yet he still shows up and wants to thank everybody for allowing him to go back to Washington, D.C. with his students because, again, he's really just thanking child abusers. This other guy 
went after the school board for being child abusers. You see, that right there, that giant gap of, of awakening is a big, big deal. Because the history teacher's not going to wake up. That guy's gone. He's gone. He has no idea that he's offended countless people by thanking child abusers that the vast majority of people cannot stand. And then, of course, on the other end of the spectrum, you had the Virginia music teacher who stood up against the machine, told them to go pound sand, said this is a program that's remarkably destructive. It shouldn't be mandatory anywhere. We shouldn't be using this particular teaching program, quote unquote. So we need to do away with it, and he lost his job. Now, I do recall that he found his way on a couple of stages in, uh, in Virginia for some of these, again, sort of, I don't know if it was a reawakening tour kind of thing, like one of those things that Clay Clark does uh, where he charges people and I don't know, or maybe he doesn't charge people. I don't know how it works, but I, I do recall seeing him on stage and describing his experience again. You know, I, I would just encourage people that there are a lot of people like him out there. There's a lot of teachers out there that, again, know what's going on and they're and they're not putting up with it. They're looking for other means to make an income. They're leaving the profession in droves. And again, that's something that is is happening now at breakneck speed. So I applaud that Virginia teacher without a doubt. And I'm remarkably just I just continue to be disappointed in in the kinds of people like that history teacher. I mean if he was really a history teacher worth his salt he would have been paying attention to everything that's been going on during this entire time and known that what we are living through and have been is full-blown tyranny. But of all people, what does he do again? He shows up and he thanks the tyrants to their faces so that they, of course, know now as school board members and as a superintendent that they have a history teacher who's on their side and will come to their defense and thank them for their hard work and dedication. It's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. So I just wanted to bring that up too, because again, people wake up at different points, and then other people are, are so clearly dead asleep and still in the matrix that it's beyond evident. And all people have to do is stick a microphone in front of their face and say something at one of these school board meetings, and you can figure out exactly where they stand on practically every issue. It's incredible. I think it's remarkable. Um, with that said, however, shifting gears slightly, speaking of um, poor decision-making and low enrollment, certainly, in the education field, the same thing is happening in the military. Because the military in the United States has apparently just now dropped its high, school, its high school diploma requirement. You don't have to have a high school diploma to be in the military now. Wrap your head around that one. Again, they want a certain kind of person. They want a person who is jabbed. They want a person who will do what they're told. They want a person who even comes from a specific area of the country. I'm certain that they're recruiting in certain areas and not others. And again, they're doing all of this because people are leaving the military in droves. They're leaving. And of course, we know about the jab injured in the military also. It's, it's overwhelming. And I don't see that getting any better. But that right there is unfortunately how you destroy a country. And we, we can't let this happen. 
We have to continue to wake people up to this. You, I mean, you talk about a red pill for somebody. Uh, give them that one. Give them the military red pill. Look at someone and say, you do understand that people are leaving the military and they're, they're, they're being discharged and they're not even signing up to be in the military because they don't want the shots. And now they've dropped the high school diploma requirement. Now you've heard me say this, but what other requirements do you think they're going to drop when it comes to, you know, in an effort basically to uh, alleviate the low enrollment? It has to be the education field. It has to be almost every single profession that exists. That almost has to be the case in the future. I, I cannot see them going in another direction because they don't have a choice. They're going to be left without a choice. So there's that piece also that, that I certainly wanted to mention and I wanted to bring up. There's also this, and, and I know that I've again alluded to this in the past and brought this up sort of casually, but I'd like to dive, if I can, just a little deeper on how American education and frankly education pretty much everywhere, formal education, the way that we think about it, is, well, I, uh, let me be even more specific, government-run and regulated education is without a doubt a cult. And I mean that specifically. It is a cult. The cult-like behavior that exists in that profession is purposefully designed, and I know that I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's purposefully designed to entrap and ensnare children first. And then, of course, if those children make their way through the entire system and someone pops out on the other end, and they want to be a school teacher themselves, the likelihood, again, of them falling in line and doing everything that they're told all of the time, regardless of ethics or XYZ, that is the entire purpose of the cult. That is cult behavior. And I've mentioned again in the past that M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Village, which is really disturbing. Um, it's a very disturbing movie, and again, not to I'm not going to ruin it necessarily, but it's, it is about a cult, an actual cult. And as you're watching it, as the viewer, you're convinced that you're watching this civilization from a long time ago, when in fact it is a cult that exists inside of an enclosed area in modern time. That's exactly how I view the American education system. Again, we have to pay attention to everything that we've seen this whole time. I consider myself completely lucky and totally blessed to not be involved and to be out of it 100%. And you've heard me say that. If the masks came down, if the mask wearing came down when I was an employee, that would have been the last straw. That would have been the last straw. Now, I was kind of ahead of the curve when it came to the sexual grooming because I was seeing that with regularity back in the early 2000s. And I thought to myself, this isn't, uh, this isn't good. Why is this being tolerated? And then, of course, I saw administrators cover all of it up. And again, they don't want to bring negative attention to themselves. 
just like a cult. I mean, you can, <laughs> it's hilarious and remarkably sad and criminal, but you can actually end almost every example of what goes on in an American school in a K-12 public-private charter, certainly public, and just end that sentence with, because you're a cult. It's the same kind of thing. We've watched them root out, in particular over the last two years, the most morally sound teachers. They've just had it. They said, I'm done. Well, that's a purposeful plan. The purposeful plan is to get rid of them. We've seen the sexual perversion because it's a cult. Very common within cults, sexual abuse, sexual perversion, all of that stuff. Now, of course, over the last year and a half, we've seen it regarding actual drug use and, po and the use of actual poison. I don't know how else to put it. It's just actual poison. And that, well, you need to take this, and we suggest you take this, and we highly recommend you take this, just like a cult. It really isn't that difficult to make that, that very basic comparison, I think. I think it is a basic comparison, and it's not an exaggeration. It is quite literally what it is. It is a cult. American education in this country is a cult, unless, again, you're homeschooling, self-educating yourself on a regular basis, and you understand, again, that education is a lifelong mission, because the cult doesn't want you to believe that. The cult wants you to just do what you're told, don't ask questions, they can think for you, they have your safety in mind all of the time, and don't you ever forget it. Because if you forget it, well, we're going to remind you the hard way, and then we're just going to get rid of you. And this is what goes on. Again, it goes on with students, it goes on with teachers, administrators, you name it. They don't play ball, they're gone. The best part now, however, is endless people are waking up to the fact that it is a cult, and they're leaving. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Again, the story that A.J. Gochik told about his son in the previous episode, and his homeschooling experience, and all of the books he's reading, and there's no way in hell that the school would ever allow him to read these books let alone stand up for himself regarding the mask wearing and everything else. It's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. And that's exactly the kind of behavior that we need. We need individual scholars, philosophers, builders, you name it. We, we need all of these people who are not in the cult. And then anybody who's not in the cult or those who escape the cult, they have got to be able to stand tall with a firm spine, turn around, point right at the cult where they exist, and say, you're a cult. Because you're all doing the same things, and you're all suggesting things that are the exact opposite of the truth. Because again, that's just what a cult does. Now, a long, long time ago, I mean, it's numerous years ago, I remember there was a lot of talk of Scientology. And you may recall this, you know, it was all over television. And Leah Remini, the, the old actress, was a Scientologist. And then she created this show exposing Scientology for 
the cult-like behavior and the cult that it actually is. No different than American education. Same kinds of tactics are used. Same kinds of methods. Silence, intimidation, criminality, drug use, trafficking, physical abuse. I mean, the list is endless, just like a cult. So I'm not going to keep drilling down much deeper on that because I think that at this point it's rather evident. But I just want to keep that in mind, and I just wanted to remind everybody again that if, we, if we're spending a lot of time talking about changing the cult, that's, that's a next to impossible thing to do because they're too far gone. They're absolutely too far gone. You, you cannot convince the Kool-Aid drinkers that what they're doing and all the decision-making and the, the, the processes and, and the policies that they're making and, and whatever else, the instruction they're delivering is a bad thing and it's hurting people because, again, they're alre- they've already consumed the Kool-Aid. They themselves as children believed the cult, and now they believe it even more. The entire thing has to crumble around them in order for them to maybe, maybe see, see the light in the entire thing. Not to mention, there's no sense in reinventing the wheel when the best wheel that exists is way over here, and it's called homeschooling. And it's called self-learning. And again, learning being a lifelong mission and a lifelong job. That already exists. The idea is simply to just turn people in a different direction as best we can, but we have to just continue to call things what they are. And American education and even higher education, in particular teacher education, is in fact a cult. Because the last time again that I was in any teacher education department was back in the middle of January of 2020. And I remember thinking to myself, How interesting would it be if I could go back in time and warn them about what was about to happen in March of 2020 and look at them basically like me showing up from the future and looking at them and saying, look, here's what's going to happen. They're going to fake a pandemic. People are going to start wearing masks. They're going to make them quote unquote mandatory on all of us, including you, and then they're going to roll out shots that are going to permanently damage and kill people. So that's coming down in the next couple of months. Honest to God, everybody at the table not only would have looked at me like I was crazy, but they all would have had the exact same response. Well, if that's what's necessary, then that's what's necessary. If that's what if that's what the powers that be and what government and our institutions say, then they wouldn't want to hurt us, so they must be telling the truth. Same thing with the voices on television and those strangers that we've never met in our entire life. Why would they ever lie to us? That's cult-like behavior. And I can't help but think of those people that I've met, that I met after graduate school over those years when I was applying uh, for a position in the teacher education department and how many of them fell for what's gone on over the last two years? How many of them fell for it? How many of them are du- single, double, triple jabbed, quadruple jabbed? Where are they now? That's that. I think about that from time to time. 
And then I think to myself, only by the grace of God did no one employ me. Because, again, whether I was in higher ed or not, I would have fought tooth and nail to, of course, never wear a mask, and I would have quit had that been the case. And then, of course, I would have done whatever I could have done to alert all of my students about this entire hoax. And I would have because I, I know exactly on the internet where to go to find out what's really going on. Not to mention the old eye test and walking around and observing people. I mean, this is what a cult is not allowed to do. A cult is not allowed to leave that hive and that hive mind mentality. They're not allowed to step outside of their border. They have to stay right there. They have to communicate with just one another and then decide on what they're going to do to help one another in these times of the horrible pandemic. I mean, again, it's a cult. And people have got to just run from these cults. They have to. Or else, again, unfortunately, like most cults, they're not going to make it. Okay, here is the last thing. I know this is kind of a shorter episode, but the 4th of July is a, is a big deal for me. I, I thoroughly enjoy it, always have. Lots of great memories. And uh, I hope everybody, again, takes this time to, to certainly pray and enjoy it. Um, take some time off. Take some deep breaths. Relax. You know, recharge, and then, and then we'll, hit the, we'll hit the battlefield again. But um, I, I, I cannot help but think of the people that built this country and the hard work and dedication that, that it took to fight off the British and, and do all of the different things. I, I, can't, even, I can't even touch on all of them, um, and I wouldn't even try. It would be embarrassing, and I would be embarrassing myself, and not, I'm going to try not to do that. But um, it just continues to show, though, and, and prove that even back then, there were endless people that were dead asleep. Even back then, there were people that didn't fight in the war, and I mean, they knew about it, but they weren't involved, and they were disengaged, and they didn't care, and they thought, well, somebody else will fight for me, and whatever else. Um, I, I, I think back to that time, having, of course, not lived through it, but read plenty about it, and it's overwhelming. It is just 100% overwhelming, and I'll use the word humbling to, to put it mildly. But here's what I wanted to do. I'm I'm rather fortunate enough to, and again, this is it's not expensive. Anybody can can purchase this stuff. But I have the writings of Thomas Jefferson, uh, Thomas Paine, and George Washington in the Library of America, or from the Library of America. They're all hardbacks. They're just classic-looking hardbacks, and I I love them. Because you really want to get in a time machine and go back in time, go back and, and, and purchase one of these books and just read one of their letters. Read a, read a letter that they wrote to a fellow colleague or another citizen or another politician or who, you know, a business owner, whoever it was that they were communicating with. Because it really is just, it's just interesting, I think. But uh, yeah. Kind of a dork when it comes to this kind of stuff, but my dad was too. He was a history major. My brother was a history major. My, my mom loves the subject as well, and, and so do I. So, here's what I wanted to read. 
and then I'll end the episode. I wanted to read the last letter from Thomas Jefferson to Roger C. Waitman. And Roger C. Waitman was the mayor of Washington, D.C. in, I believe, 1824 to 1827, if I'm not mistaken. But this was written again by Thomas Jefferson to Roger C. Waitman from Monticello on June 24th, 1826. And he's responding because he was invited to show up in Washington, D.C. to celebrate our nation's independence, but he was ill. Thomas Jefferson was, and he couldn't go, but he wrote this letter. And this was apparently the last letter he ever wrote. It says, quote, Respected Sir, the kind invitation I received from you on the part of the citizens of the city of Washington to be present with them at their celebration on the 15th anniversary of American independence as one of the surviving signers of an instrument pregnant with our own and the fate of the world is most flattering to myself and heightened by the honorable accompaniment proposed for the comfort of such a journey. It adds sensibly to the sufferings of sickness to be deprived by it for a personal participation in the rejoicings of that day. But acquaintance is a duty under circumstances not placed among those we are permitted to control. I should indeed, with peculiar delight, have met and exchanged their congratulations personally with the small band, the remnant of that host of worthies, who joined with us on that day in the bold and doubtful election we were to make for our country, between submission or the sword, and to have enjoyed with them the consolatory fact that our fellow citizens, after half a century of experience and prosperity, continue to approve the choice we made. May it be to the world what I believe it will be, to some parts sooner, to others later, but finally to all, the signal of arousing men to burst the chains under which monkish ignorance and superstition had persuaded them to blind themselves and to assume the blessings and security of self-government. That form which we have substituted restores the free right to the unbounded exercise of reason and freedom of opinion. All eyes are opened or opening to the rights of man. The general spread of the light of science has already laid open to every view the palpable truth that the mass of mankind has not been born with saddles on their backs nor a favored few booted and spurred, ready to ride them legitimately, but by the grace of God. These are grounds of hope for others. For ourselves, let the annual return of this day forever refresh our recollections of these rites and an undiminished devotion to them. I will ask permission here to express the pleasure with which I should have met my ancient neighbors of the city of Washington and its vicinities, with whom I passed so many years of a pleasing social intercourse, an intercourse which so relieved, which much relieved the anxieties of the public cares and left impressions so deeply engraved in my affections as never to be forgotten. 
with my regret that ill health forbids me the gratification of an acceptance, be pleased to receive for yourself and those for whom you write the assurance of my highest respect and friendly attachments. Unquote. Thomas Jefferson died ten days later, on July 4th, in 1826. And again, I cannot help but think of just the incredible hard work of all of those individuals and what they did to bring us ultimately to where we are now. And then, of course, I can't help but think of all of the individuals who have tried to destroy it. And we can't forget those people either, because that right there is our enemy. And these are the very people that the Founding Fathers fought against, warned us about. And we have the utmost responsibility, I think, to continue to learn about all of this, continue to spread as much truth as we possibly can, highlight who these grifters are and these people trying to make a dollar off of the backs of, of this entire movement, expose them for who they are, provide healthy alternatives to endless people. Again, I would highly recommend that people go back and listen to that episode uh, with, with A.J. Gochik describing his son's homeschooling experience. If you listen to that, that is exactly the kind of person that our country needs. This country needs A.J. Gochik's son multiplied over and over and over again. Someone who will stand up to the mob when surrounded by masked goons who are just saying, well, don't bother them and you know, we need to be polite and whatever else. There is a time for politeness. There's a time for civil behavior. But as even Thomas Jefferson would say, there's a time where you had better stand like a rock. So again, to quote him one more time, in matters of style, swim with the current, and in matters of principle, stand like a rock. Have a great Independence Day, everybody. I'll catch you next Friday. Take care.
Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.